Amen. All right, well, we're there in Numbers chapter number 22. And of course, we are continuing today our sermon series entitled Wilderness Wanderings. And we are in a chapter by chapter series uh, through the book of Numbers. And today we are beginning a new section in the book of Numbers. And we're going to be dealing with a very intriguing and sometimes confusing character uh, by the name of Balaam. And in fact, before we get into the story of Balaam here, starting in Numbers 22, I'd like you, if you would not mind, to turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter number 2. Keep your place there are Numbers, of course, that will be our text for this morning. We'll come back to it. But I'd like you to find 2 Peter chapter 2. If you start at the end of the New Testament and you go backwards, you go past the book of Revelation, past the book of Jude, past the books of 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, these are all small books, and then you'll find the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2. Do me a favor, when you get to 2 Peter, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there, a bulletin, because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it, and I'd like you to get to it quickly. We're going to be looking at this character, Balaam, for the next uh, several sermons as we are in the book of Numbers. Balaam is a character that gets a lot of real estate in the Bible. Uh, first of all, just here in the book of Numbers, we deal with the story of Balaam from chapter 22 uh, through chapter 23, really chapter 24, uh, and even after that in chapters 31, and he's mentioned in the book of Numbers, so he gets a lot of time in the book of Numbers, and then he's mentioned all throughout the Bible. He's mentioned, of course, in the book of Numbers, several chapters and other mentions. He's mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Joshua, the book of Nehemiah, the book of Micah, the book of Second Peter, the book of Jude, and the book of Revelation. That's a lot of times to be mentioned throughout Scripture. His name is mentioned 63 times in the Bible. He gets a lot of attention in the Word of God. And the reason for that is because Balaam, and I'll just say this right up front, Balaam is the quintessential false prophet in the Bible. He is um, an individual that is given to us in the Bible to illustrate for us and to represent for us what a false prophet looks like, what a false prophet feels like, what a false prophet, pro prophet is like. And there's lots of passages that deal with him, and over the next several uh, sermons and over the next couple of weeks as we deal with the subject of Balaam, we will cover all of them. But I want to quickly just show you some of the most important passages in the New Testament because when you look at the story of Balaam, it can be somewhat confusing, and I think that's for a reason. When you look at the story of Balaam, you could be confused by this character as to whether is he a good guy, is he a bad guy. Here are common questions that people ask about Balaam. Is he a good guy, is he a bad guy? Was he a good guy that turned bad? Was he always bad? Was he a good guy that just had a lapse in, in faith? What is going on with Balaam? And I don't think that's by coincidence. That is done on purpose. I think the Holy Spirit of God does that on purpose to illustrate something for us. And I'll make that connection at the end of the sermon. Uh, however, as Balaam is mentioned throughout the rest of Scripture, and as we compare the rest of Scripture, it becomes clear that Balaam is a false prophet. Balaam is a reprobate. In 2 Peter chapter number 2, we have a mention of Balaam, and, and I, let me just say this, and I don't have time to develop this uh, in, by way of introduction. I'll just say this, and you can study it out on your own. 2 Peter chapter 2 is a chapter that deals with false prophets. 
the entire chapter is teaching us about reprobate false prophets. I want you to notice what the Bible says in 2 Peter 2 and verse 15. It says, which have forsaken the right way, talking about reprobate false prophets, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following, I want you to notice these words, the way of Balaam. Following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. I want you to notice that here in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to come back to 2 Peter this morning and also tonight, uh, we see this, this phrase, the way of Balaam. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Jude. Keep your place there in 2 Peter. We're going to come back to it. But go to Jude. If you go past 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, into the book of Jude, one chapter right before the book of Revelation, Jude. Uh, and let me just say this. The book of Jude is a parallel passage to 2 Peter chapter 2. In fact, you can do this on your own. If you compare 2 Peter chapter 2 to the book of Jude, even though they're written by two different human authors, they're both inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and you'll find that a lot of the similar subject matter, a lot of similar wording, the, the chapters are outlined very similarly. These are what we call parallel passages that uh, connect with each other. Notice what Jude says in verse number 11. Woe unto them. Jude is also about false prophet reprobates. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily, notice these words, after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Here we're told uh, that, that the false prophets have gone in the way of Cain. Notice who the, the dishonorable mentions here. The way of Cain, the error of Balaam, the gainsaying of Korah. Now, we've already studied Korah in the book of Numbers. We know that he's a false prophet reprobate. Cain here is being identified as a false prophet reprobate. And the Bible here is telling us, and I want you to just notice these words, the error of Balaam. In 2 Peter, we saw the way of Balaam. In Jude, we saw the error of Balaam. Let me show you another one real quickly. Go to Revelation chapter 2. You're there in Jude. Just flip over into the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. And look at verse 14, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14, the Bible says this, But I have a few things against thee, Revelation 2, 14, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, speaking to the seven churches in Asia. He says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold, notice these words, the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. We're going to see that later on in the book of Numbers. But notice, 2 Peter says the way of Balaam. Jude says the error of Balaam. Revelation says the doctrine of Balaam. And this is a bad man. This is a bad guy. And what I want to do this morning, I'm not going to get through the entire chapter this morning. I'm going to cover half of the chapter this morning, and I'll cover the second half tonight. And I want to encourage you to be back tonight, because tonight we're going to look at the craziest story in the Bible with a talking donkey, all right? I think you'll find it extremely interesting, and we'll see why it is that God does this miracle and why it is that God does these things. But for this morning, what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to study Balaam and specifically to look at the characteristics of a false prophet, the characteristics of a false prophet. It's good to learn how to identify false prophets because of the fact that they deceive so many. They deceive so many people, and it's good for us to learn what the Bible teaches about these things. Keep your place there in 2 Peter 
chapter number 2, and go back with me to the book of Numbers. And I'm not going to show you everything that there is to say about false prophets this morning, but I'm going to show you what we can learn from Balaam regarding false prophets, because he is the quintessential false prophet in the Bible. Second Peter, uh, Numbers chapter 2, keep your place in Second Peter, go back to Numbers chapter 2. And let me give you several characteristics this morning. If you're taking notes, and I do encourage you to take notes, uh, I, I'd like for you to do that. I'll give you several characteristics, and there's a place for you to write down some notes on the back of your course of the week. Notice Numbers 22 and verse 1. Look, look at how the story begins. And the children of Israel set forward. If you remember from the book of Numbers, if you've been with us, the children of Israel have now had several victories against Arad, against King Arad, against King Sihon, against King Og. The Bible tells us here the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side, Jordan, by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Balak, who's the king of Moab, has seen and heard uh, and become aware of the victories that the children of Israel have had recently against King Arad, against King Sihon, against King Og. And the Bible says here in verse 23, And Moab was so afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. What's interesting is that God had already actually told the children of Israel not to fight against Moab and to leave them alone. But Balak isn't aware of that or he doesn't believe that. And the Bible tells us that he's sore afraid. He's afraid. He's distressed of this company, this host of people that have came out of Egypt and are now seemingly uh, taking over the land. Notice verse 4. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. I want you to notice that Balak, king of Moab, is worried about the children of Israel. He's concerned. He's seen this multitude, millions of people, this congregation who were slaves in Egypt have now entered into his land and are starting to, as he puts it, lick up the land. They're starting to take land and have victories. And as a result, he calls this man Balaam. Notice verse number 5, Numbers 22, 5. He, this is Balak, sent messengers therefore unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Notice what he requests. He, he, he calls him in verse 5, and then he makes his request in verse 6. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail that we may smite them, that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot, that word wot there is an older word, which means no. He says, I wot, or I know, that he whom thou, this is Balak speaking to Balaam, he, he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. And in this, we find the first characteristic of a false prophet, and it is this, if you'd like to write it down, that false prophets are popular. False prophets are famous. False prophets are well-known and respected specifically by the world's political leaders. 
Keep your place there in Numbers 22 and go with me uh, to the book of John, if you would. John chapter 15 in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I want you to notice that here we have this king, Balak. The Bible tells us there in verse 4, And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. He's a political leader. He's a king. And he needs a preacher. He understands that the, the might of the children of Israel is not in their military. These were people that were actually slaves. He understands that the reason that they're winning these battles against these kings is because the Lord is with them, because God is with them, because they have the blessing of God upon them. So he decides, before I go fight them physically, I'd like to fight them spiritually, and I need to find a preacher that'll curse them, that'll put a curse upon them. And when this political leader needed a preacher, he calls Balaam. And I want you to understand something, that if you're ever wondering, I wonder if a preacher, fill in the blank, whatever preacher you, you're, you're considering, I wonder if this guy's a false prophet. I wonder if this guy's a bad guy. Just make note of this. If they are accepted by the world, if they are popular, if the political leadership of this world loves them, expects, uh, uh, accepts them, uh, promotes them, then you, you ought to just realize that is a characteristic of a false prophet. I'm reminded in the Bible of the story, the story, you don't have to turn there, you go to John, but the story of Micaiah the prophet when Jehoshaphat and Ahab were going to go to war and Ahab brings all of his false prophets and they all preach prosperity to them. And Jehoshaphat says, is there a prophet? He asked the question, is there a prophet of the Lord besides? He said, is there another prophet besides these guys? And, and, I'm, and I'm reminded of Ahab, his response, when he responds to Jehoshaphat. He says, there is one guy, Micaiah the prophet. He's the prophet of the Lord. And then he says this, but I hate him. That's the response of a prophet of God. The political leadership says of men of God, I hate them. And it's interesting to me that today, even Christians will look at preachers that are accepted by the president, accepted by kings, accepted by governors, and they'll say, oh, this must be a testimony of the blessing of God upon their life. Really? Because political leadership put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. Political leadership put John the Baptist to death. Political leadership all throughout the Bible. I mean, I just think to myself, have you read the Bible? Because the men of God and the prophets of God are constantly being persecuted, not accepted by political leaders. You say, you say I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. Okay, well, let's see what you think. What does Jesus think about it? John 15. You won't take my word for it. Maybe you'll take the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 15 and verse 18, the Bible says this. This is what Jesus said. These are red letter words because Jesus spoke these words on this earth. John 15, 18. Here's what he says. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Then he says this. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. Look, when the world loves you, according to Jesus, it's because you're of the world. Because the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. You know that Pastor Jimenez is never going to get invited to pray at the president's inauguration? 
And I would just say this, any preacher that has ever been invited to pray at the inauguration of the United States president, mark it down, that's a false prophet. Because if they were preaching the word of God, if they were preaching the Bible, if they were true men of God, well, let me just say it this way, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hated you. Remember the world, uh, the word, this is Jesus speaking, John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Jesus said, look, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. The Bible says, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Go to Luke chapter 6. You say, well, pastor, I don't, I don't understand because there's all these preachers on TV. There's all these famous evangelists. And they get invited into the Oval Office. They get invited by the governors. They get invited by the mayors. They, they get given these positions of prominence. But they, I think they're good men. Well, then you must be smarter than the Bible because the Bible says, and you must be smarter than Jesus because Jesus says, hey, the world loves their own. The world loves their own. I remember in 2016, the mayor of Sacramento tweeted against me. I didn't get invited to no prayer breakfast. He made some comments against me, a sermon that I preached that he didn't like. And you say, well, I don't know. Well, pastor, what's wrong with you? No, no, what's wrong with you? They cut off John the Baptist's head. You think that John the Baptist would have been invited to pray for the inauguration of the governor? Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Luke 6, 22. It is, it's time for Christianity and for Christians to get back to the Bible. Amen. To have a revolution back to the Word of God. To get back to a biblical philosophy of what the Bible actually teaches about Christianity. Luke 6, 22. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you, from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For, don't miss it, for in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. You know what people did to the true prophets of God? They hated them. They separated themselves from them. They were reproached unto them. They cast their name as evil. And Jesus says, look, rejoice when that happens to you and I. Because he says, you're in good company. In like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So we see the first characteristic of a false prophet. And it is this, that they're popular. They're, well, they're loved. Look, there's a reason why Pastor Jimenez can't be on YouTube. But every false prophet in this country can have hundreds of thousands of subscribers on YouTube. Why? Because the world loves their own. Because the world cares about their own. Because the world accepts their own. But a true man of God who actually preaches the word of God. And look, our goal is never to be offensive, but the word of God is offensive. And we're not going to compromise on what the Bible says. We're not going to water it down. We're not going to defile it. We're not going to corrupt it. 
So we see the characteristic of a false prophet. A false prophet is popular. You say, I'm looking at this guy. Because here's the thing about Balaam. You look at Balaam and you're like, I don't know. If all we had was Numbers 22 and 23, if there were no other mentions in the Bible about Balaam, you could make the argument that Balaam's a good guy. You could make the argument that Balaam just messed up. You could make the argument that he just made a bad choice or or that that his heart was in the right place. If all we had was the account of Balaam, this is why the story of Balaam can be so confusing to people, is because you look at it and you're like, I don't know, I'm not sure. When you compare it to everything else the Bible says, it's clear that he's a reprobate, wicked individual. That That he died and went to hell. But when you look at him, you're like, I don't know. You say, well, why would God put a character like that in the Bible? Because that's how false prophets are. You look at them and you're like, I don't know. I mean, Joel Osteen hasn't really said anything wrong. And here's the thing. I mean, he said plenty of things wrong. But people will, will look at a sermon of some famous preacher and they're like, well, I mean, he didn't say anything wrong. And here's what you need to understand about false prophets. It's not usually what they say. It's what they won't say. It's what they'll leave out. It's what they refuse to preach. And here we see that a false prophet, just, just mark it down. You say, I, I, how do I know? How can I test if someone's a false prophet? Are they popular? Are they accepted by the world? If they're being interviewed by David Letterman and Jay Leno, you understand what I'm saying? You think Pastor Shelley's going to get interviewed on some late night talk show? I mean, honestly, you think some real man of God, they're going to be interviewed on 2020 and it's this positive interview. Hey, mark it down. That's a bad guy because false prophets are popular. Let me give you another one. Go back to Numbers 22. Keep your place in 2 Peter. Go back to number 22. Look at verse 7. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed. Notice these words. With the rewards of divination. The Bible says that when Balak sends for Balaam, he makes sure to send them with money. Rewards of divination. By the way, the word divination means the art of foreseeing or foretelling future events by occultic or supernatural practices. Divination has to do with magic, with the occult. Just real quickly, go to Joshua chapter 13. You're there in Numbers Go past Deuteronomy into the book of Joshua. I, I realize we're going to look at a lot of passages this morning, and, you know, I don't have to tell you. That's why you're here, I think. Joshua 13. I'm not a false prophet, so I'm, I, I, you're not here because I'm popular. Joshua 13, 22. I'm not famous. You could say I'm infamous, but I'm not famous. Joshua 13, 22. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Joshua 13, 22. Notice these words. Balaam, also the son of Beor. Notice these words. The soothsayer. Here the Bible tells you, what does Sue say? Someone who predicts the future by magical or occultic means. Look, here the Bible is telling us Balaam's a bad guy. This is no man of God. He's a soothsayer. He's a magician. He's an uh, occultist. Go back to Numbers 22. This is why Balak sends the rewards of divination in their hand, verse 7, and they came unto Balaam, 
and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, this is what Balaam says. So get the picture. Balak wants Balaam to come curse the children of Israel. Balak sends a delegation with money, the reward of divination, and says, we want to hire you to curse the people of God. And the response from Balaam, verse 8, here's where we're introduced to Balaam for the first time, and he said unto them, lodge he, lodge he uh, here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me, and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And this is where the confusion begins. Because people look at stuff like this and they're like, he kind of seems like a good guy. I mean, they come and it's not just like he says, okay, yeah, how much are you paying? Go, no problem. He says, lodge here this night and I will bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with him. And people look at stuff like that and they'll say, well, he sounds like he's kind of a good guy. I mean, he's saying that the Lord shall speak unto me. But you need to understand something. And look, again, and I've, I've dealt a lot with Balaam in the past, and I've had a lot of people ask me questions, and these are the questions people ask. You know, it seems like he's a good guy. He's, and, and God even speaks to him, and we'll talk about that. And it's confusing, because false prophets are confusing. And what we need to do is not base what we believe off of stories or narratives, look, whether it's the Bible or a human being you're looking at face-to-face -face or on a screen, you should not base what you believe off of how they make you feel or what you think about them. Do you understand me? This is the stupidity of humanity. Well, I like so-and-so, so they must be telling the truth. No. That's dumb. We base what we believe off the Word of God, Amen. off biblical principles. And the Bible already told us this is a greedy, covetous, false prophet. And if you just think about it, and you allow the, uh, the, the clouds to part, and you just think clearly about this, you realize that, yeah, this sounds good. Lodge, he, lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the prince of Moab abode with him, with Balaam. That sounds good, but just ask yourself this question. Put yourself in the story. Imagine this. Imagine if the governor of Arizona came to Pastor Jimenez, sent a delegation of politicians from Arizona with a big check, $25,000 or $50,000. They said, we would like you to come. Here's what we'd like you to do, Pastor Jimenez. We'd like to hire you. We'd like you to come and stand in the parking lot of Faith Forward Baptist Church. And as Faith Forward Baptist Church, is, is, as they're congregating and having a church service, we'd like you to stand in the parking lot. We're going to give you this big check, $50,000, $100,000. We'd like you to stand in the parking lot. Here's all, we, here's all we want you to do. As they're having church service, and we'd like you to pray a curse upon them. Do you think that my response is going to be like, let me pray about that? Give me one night, let me see what the Lord would say. Why would I even consider that? Pray a curse upon the people of God? Pray that the enemies of God would be victorious over them? That they would die and be defeated in battle by the enemies of God? So you can sit there, Balaam, and say, well, you know, I'm spiritual, let me pray about it. 
The fact that you're even praying about it shows that you're a weasel. Shows that you're a bad guy. Look, this guy is motivated by one thing, money. And this is what the Bible says. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at it. 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 15. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray. 2 Peter 2, 15. Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar. Notice these words. Who love the wages of unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. Go back to Jude, Jude verse 11, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then the book of Jude, Jude verse number 11. Woe unto them, this is false prophets, the characteristics of a false prophet. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and false prophets ran greedily after the error of Balaam, for reward. And here we find our second characteristic of a false prophet. Number one, false prophets are popular. If they're accepted, if they're respected by the world, if presidents are meeting them. Look, you know the Pope is a false prophet? But every country the Pope goes into, every country the Pope goes to, the president of that country will meet him in the airport and greet him. Well, I don't know, maybe he's a good guy. No, he's a devil. False prophets are popular. Let me give you another characteristic. False prophets are prosperous. They're rich. Mark it down. When you have a preacher that's filthy rich, they're a false prophet. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. They have ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Period. Now, I, I believe, and the Bible teaches, that pastors should be paid. The Bible's clear about that. I think that preachers should get paid well. The Bible says that they are worthy of double honor if they're preaching the Word of God. I don't think that preachers should be, uh, you know, at poverty level. I think they should get paid well, especially if they're working hard and if they're ministering to the people of God, then, then those are good things. But, you know, let me just say this. They shouldn't be filthy rich. When you have... A false, a prophet, a preacher, just mark it down. If there's a pastor in this country who's a multimillionaire, he's a bad guy. He's a false prophet. You say, Pastor, who are you talking about? Uh, I don't know, Kenneth Copeland, who's worth $300 million. Look, I think preachers should get paid well. I think preachers should be uh, uh, paid based off the amount of work that they do. And I, I even believe, and you may not agree with this or whatever, I don't care what you think because I'm not a false prophet, so I'm not here for you. <laughs> I even think they should get paid uh, based off the amount of work and success that they've had. I think if a guy's pastoring a church with 50 people, he shouldn't get paid the same as a guy who's pastoring a church with 500 people. So I, I'm not against pastors getting paid, but look, I don't care how many people you run, you shouldn't be paid $300 million dollars. How about Joel Osteen, $100 million? Now listen to me. Joel Osteen and Kenneth Copeland would all say, Lodge here this night and I will bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me. They'd all say these words as they get into their Lamborghini and drive off. As they get into their private jet and fly off. 
How about Benny Hinn, $70 million? How about Rick Warren, $25 million? How about T.D. Jakes, uh, $20 million? How about Greg Laurie, $16 million? How about John MacArthur, $15 million? These are false prophets, my friend. These are bad people. They, pray, they make merchandise of the people of God. They don't preach because they love God. They preach because there's good money in being a false prophet. False prophets are popular. False prophets are prosperous. They've ran greedily after the era of Balaam for reward. They love the wages of unrighteousness. And look, no, no true man of God is just going to be filthy, rich. And look, by the way, let me just say this. Not only that, I believe that anyone who's ever called into the ministry is, I don't think that being, being called into the ministry and giving yourself to the ordination of the Word of God, I don't believe that is synonymous with a vow of poverty. I don't believe that. I think they should get paid, and they should get paid well, and they should be taken care of. But I will say this. When you enter the ministry, for any of you guys that want to go into the ministry, you pretty much make a vow that says, I'm never going to be a multimillionaire. Period. I don't care how big the church gets. It's not right. I just I think there's some cars that preachers should not drive. I think there's some houses that preachers should just should not live in. I don't think they should live in bad houses. I don't I don't, but there's just multi-million dollar mansions. I just don't think a preacher should live in one. I just think I'm not saying they should live in bad houses. I'm not saying they should drive bad cars. I'm not I'm not saying that. But I am saying this: when you start having air-conditioned dog houses, there's a problem. <laughs> you don't think that ha- that's happened? False prophets are popular. False prophets are prosperous. Go back to our story, Numbers 22. So Balaam, he says, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me, and the prince of Moab abode with him. That's verse 8. Look at verse 9. And again, this is where the story gets a little confusing. And God came on to Balaam and said, what men are these with thee? Now let me just just say this, because I'm not going to have time to delve into this today, and I'm I'm not even going to have time to deal with it tonight, because tonight I'm dealing with a talking donkey, and there's just so much to be said about that. But I will say this, I'm going to explain to you and I'll, I'll, I'll do it when we get into Numbers chapter 23. I'm going to explain to you what I believe is going on here regarding God's relationship with Balaam. Because God speaks to Balaam and Balaam speaks to God, and this can be confusing to people. Let me just give you a hint. The Bible documents for us God speaking to people that weren't saved. And they weren't all necessarily bad. Here's one example, Abimelech, the king of Gerar. In the book of Genesis, Abraham's actually the bad guy in that story. He's lying about his wife and and these things, but God appears to him and talks to him. So I'll get into it. And look, let me just say this. If you find Balaam a difficult character to understand, if you find him confusing uh, confusing because of God speaking with him and, 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 and the talking back and forth and all this, just wait with me till we get to Numbers 23. And honestly, I've been studying this very deeply. I've been looking at Balaam harder than I've ever looked at Balaam before. And I've, I've had, I feel like, 
some insight into the story that I'd never, I'd seen before, but I hadn't seen it as clearly as I see it now, and I think it'll help you understand it, all right? So just be here next week. We'll talk about it, Numbers 23. I think it'll make sense to you. But you need to understand this, and the Bible's clear about it. This is a bad guy. Verse 9, And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure, that word peradventure means perhaps I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. Look at verse 12. And God said unto Balaam, this is clear, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. God is very clear about his will here. He says, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Verse 13, And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give uh, me leave to go with you. And again, people get confused by this. They're like, well, it seems like he's like a good guy. I mean, get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give uh, me leave to go with you. But wait a minute. Let's just think, let's analyze these words for a second. He's not saying, get you into your land, you wicked enemies of God. He says, the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. You know what that sounds like to me? I really want to go with you, but God won't let me. Sounds like a punk teenager. My mom refuses to give me leave to go with you. That doesn't sound like a good guy. What is he saying? He's saying, I want to go, but he won't let me. He refuses to give me leave. I'm asking for leave, and he won't give it to me to go with you. Verse 14. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. And again, I'm going to talk next week about what I believe is going on here. But I want you to notice that this guy is motivated by money. Not only is he motivated by money, he's motivated by prominence. Look at verse 15. And Balak sent yet again princes more. The word more there is referring to quantity, more. He sent more princes, a bigger delegation than the first time. Balak sent yet again more and more honorable than they. The first more is referring to quantity. The second more is referring to quality. He sends a delegation again, but this time in verse 15, he sends a bigger delegation, more people, and he sends bigger names, more honorable than they. So he gets together some famous people. He gets together some well-known politicians. He says, you go over there and see if you can talk Balaam into coming here. Look at verse 16. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing, notice what they said, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. He just got done telling them, The Lord refuseth to give me leave. And their response is, Don't let anything stop you. Let nothing hinder you uh, from coming unto me. Nothing, including God. That's what they're referring to. Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. Verse 17. Here's the offer. Not only am I going to give you money, he says, for I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. Now, here's what I want you to understand. And this is my opinion, and you can have a different opinion if you'd like. That's okay. 
But the Bible tells us, the Bible indicates this for us. And history tells us that in this Middle Eastern culture, this Semitic culture of the Middle East, negotiation is a big thing. And look, we see this in the Bible. We see some big negotiations go down in the Bible. We see Abraham negotiating for the law to bury his uh, wife, and it takes a whole chapter, and this is going back and forth. We see David negotiating for uh, the mountain where the temple of God will, will be built, and there's this negotiation recorded in the Bible. For the ancient people, for the Semitic Middle Eastern people, negotiation is a part of their culture. The Bible seems to indicate that. History tells us that. And even today, if you go to the Middle East, you know, I've been to Qatar, I've been to Jordan, and in those areas, when you're in the market, it's just, there's this expectation that you, you don't just pay for something that, that is being offered, there's this expectation to negotiate. The vendors themselves will be offended if you don't try to negotiate, it's just part of their culture. And I want you to, what I believe is going on here is that there's this, there's this uh, subtle negotiation in fact, I believe that when Balaam first said, give me a night, there was actually no consideration there that where he thought, notice the Bible says that God came to him. I think that was just him saying like, ah, I'll get back to you. Here, notice the negotiation for I will, verse 17, for I will promote thee unto very great honor. I will, notice these words, do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. This is a subtle negotiation. Name your price, Balaam. Name your price. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. Notice how Balaam responds, verse 18. And Balaam answered and said unto the servant of Balaam. Remember, this is a false prophet. So he, he wants to negotiate because the Bible tells us in the New Testament that he's greedy and covetous and motivated by money. But he has to make it sound good. So look, look at his response, verse 18. And Balaam answered and said unto the servant of Balaam, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. And the question I ask is, where did this come from? Whoever mentioned this, a house full of silver and gold? This just kind of came out of nowhere. Now, it sounds good because he's like, well, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord. When you consider the fact that Balak just said, I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me, and then the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, well, how about a house full of silver and gold? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm a prophet of God, so I can't do anything that God doesn't tell me to do. But, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. Look, this is a negotiation. He's, the guy just got done telling him, I'll do whatsoever thou sayest to me. And he's like, well, you know. Let me just throw this out there. A house full of silver and gold would be nice. But, you know, uh, uh, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord. You don't think Joel Osteen, when he got his house full of silver and gold, also said things like, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord. When they paid cash for his Ferrari, he drives to church. When they found like $250,000 stashed in the wall of a bathroom. Well, I can't go beyond the word of the Lord, you know. My God, to do less or more, but a house full of silver and gold, that'd be nice. There's a negotiation going on here. You said, but it's so subtle. Yes, because false prophets are subtle. But it's hard to identify. Yeah, because false prophets are hard to identify. Look at verse 19. Now, therefore, I pray you, 
carry you. So he just so so Balak says, name your price. Whatever, whatever, don't let anything stop you. Whatever you want, I'll do it. He says, well, I, I got to talk with God, but a house full of silver and gold would be nice. And then in verse 19, Now therefore I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me. Now again, this sounds good, but wait a minute. Verse 12, God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Now in verse 19, he's telling them, now that they've said, well, name your price, and he mentioned the house full of silver and gold. Now he says, tarry also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. Why do you have to ask God again, Balaam? Wasn't God already clear? God already told you. Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. He's asking again because he wants to go with them. He's asking again because this man is motivated by money and popularity and promotion. Now, again, this is a confusing story, and I'm trying to open it up for you and dissect some things to make it clear. Here's another part of the story that can get confusing for people. Verse 20. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall tell, which shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. People are confused often by the fact that God said, okay, go. And it's a valid question. Why does God say go? In verse 12, God said, thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people. Then they negotiate and Balaam asks again. And then God says, if the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. So people are often confused by this. Why does God change his mind? Why does God say go? Go to Psalm 78, if you would. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Psalm 78. And I'd like to explain something to you about God. That if you don't understand this about God, this story could be confusing to you. Why does God say go? Go with them. Psalm 78 and verse 29 says this. Psalm 78, verse 29. Psalm 78, 29. So they did eat and were filled. This is the children of Israel complaining in the wilderness about food against God, against Moses. God provides food. So they did eat and were filled. Notice these words. For he, God, gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust. They were lusting for food. God gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. I don't understand what's going on here. Let me explain something to you about God. Sometimes God will give you what you want and allow you to suffer the consequences. Balaam says, can I go? God says, no. They enter into this negotiation. And he says, I don't know. God, are you sure? Because there are, I mean, a house full of silver and gold. Can I go? And God says, go. And we look at that and say, well, why, God, why would you say go? Because sometimes God will give you the desires, the lust of your heart and desires. But he'll also send the wrath of God. Sometimes God will give you what you want and allow you to suffer the consequences. Go to Psalm 106. Let me give you another example. Psalm 106. Psalm 106, verse 14. 
Psalm 106 and verse 14. Psalm 106, verse 14, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. Verse 15, and he, God, gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Please understand something. Sometimes God will give you what you want and then allow you to suffer the consequences of that decision. And you're like, I didn't really know that about God. Well, Get into the ministry. I, I think the reason that this is so apparent to me what's going on is just because my wife and I have been in ministry for 13 years. And for 13 years, we've stood there and told people, don't marry that guy. Don't marry him. Don't marry her. Look, I'm telling you, don't marry. No, we're in love. You're an idiot. Everyone's in love. They all say they're in love. Don't marry. Don't take that job. Look, I'm telling you, you don't want to take that job. Don't move there. Don't move there. Well, I prayed about it. I prayed about it twice. And, and, they, and they accepted the offer. And, he, and she said yes. And they approved the loan. And sometimes God says, go ahead. And then he'll let you suffer the consequences of your bad choices. So don't get confused here when God says to Balaam, go. And don't think that when God says to you, go, because you won't drop it, because you won't let it go, because you won't listen to your pastor, you won't listen to your pastor's wife, you won't listen to your mother, you won't listen to your father, you won't listen to godly people in your life that have been placed there to advise you and to counsel you and to give you. You won't listen to anyone. You want to do what you want to do. Don't be surprised when God gives you permission and then sends leanness to your soul. When he gives you the lust that you desire and the wrath falls upon you in the next verse. The question is asked, why does God say go? And the answer is because sometimes God will give you what you want and allow you to suffer the consequences as a result. Then there's another question that people ask that can be confusing to people, and it is this. Numbers 22, look at verse 21. Not only why does God say go, but then why does God get angry? Look at verse 21. Numbers 22, verse 21. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And people say, well, wait a minute. God just said go. Now he's mad that he went. But well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's not, let's not charge God foolishly here. Let's always remember, the Bible's always right and we're always wrong. If we, if we think we see something wrong in the Bible, no, there's nothing wrong with the Bible. There's nothing wrong with God. There's something wrong with you and your understanding. Well, God just said go. Uh, not exactly. Here's what God said, verse 20. If the men come to call thee, rise up and go. He said, look, you've already asked me. I already said no. You're asking me again because they came to you a second time. And here's my answer. If they come again, go. And then the very next verse, verse 21, and Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went. Wait a minute, what's missing? They never came again. They never asked again. No, they may have, but he didn't even give them that opportunity. He just said, oh, God said if they come again, go. He just gets up and goes. And Balaam rose up in the morning and settled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. No, verse 22, and God's anger was kindled because he went. 
And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. God gets angry with Balaam. He stands in the way. And God says, okay, you want to go down this path? That's all right. Now we're going to talk about this in more detail tonight. We're going to really dissect this whole thing with the donkey and all of it. But let me just finish this sermon on false prophets. And let me just say this. When it comes to false prophets, the characteristics of a false prophet, here's what you need to look for. They're popular. They're prosperous. They're filthy rich. And here's a third characteristic. False prophets are pretenders. They're pretenders. This guy says some good things. Balaam, in verse 8, I will bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me. Verse 13, the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. Verse 18, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Verse 19, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. This guy sounds good. And let me tell you something. False prophets can look and talk real good. They, they play a real good game. I think that one reason that Balaam is so prominent in the Bible and given to us as an example is to show us how confusing a false prophet can be. Because people literally look at Balaam with everything the Bible says in 2 Peter and Jude and Revelation and in Nehemiah and in Micah and in Joshua. The, the children of Israel killed Balaam later on in the book of Numbers. And people still say like, was he a bad guy? Maybe he was a good guy and he just had a bad day. And you say, well, why does, God, why does God allow this seemingly difficult narrative in the Bible? And I think it's to illustrate something. False prophets, they seem real good. They say good things. They say things that we think, I don't know, is this guy a bad guy? But listen to me, a false prophet can look and talk a good game, and yet they are the enemies of God. Look at verse 22. And God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the, don't miss this, stood in the way. Remember the way of Balaam, 2 Peter 2.15? Stood in the way. The Lord stood in the way of Balaam, don't miss this, for an adversary against him. This was God's enemy. This was God's adversary. This is what false prophets are like. Let me just real quickly, I, I'm running out of time, but let, let's just real quickly run some verses. Would, would that be okay? Let's just look at some verses real quickly. Go to Matthew chapter 7. The faster you can turn, the faster we can be done, all right? Matthew chapter 7. Uh, if, if first book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 7. False prophets are popular. False prophets are prosperous. And look, you look at people, you point to people and say, look at this guy. Look how popular he is. Look how loved he is. Look how respected he is. Look at how rich this guy is. This guy's no good. And then people say, oh no, I just think he's a good, I just like watching him on TV. I just like listening to him on the radio. And here's the piece they don't understand. False prophets are pretenders. Here's how Jesus said it, Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets. Why should you beware of false prophets? Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. 
They look real good on the outside. They look like sheep. They look like part of the flock, but inside they're wolves. Here's how Paul said it, 2 Corinthians 11. Can you go there? 2 Corinthians 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11. Look at verse 13. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. By the way, if you ever came to this church and you're like, Pastor man has offended me. Let that be a sign to you that I'm not a false prophet. Maybe you don't like me. Maybe you don't like what I've said. Maybe you don't like that it applied to you. Whatever. That's between you and God. I don't care. I'm not here for you. I'm here for God. But whatever, whatever you like or don't like about my preaching or I've offended you or you said this and I'm into that or whatever, know this. At least I'm not a false prophet because if I was a false prophet, I would never say anything that would offend you ever. It'd just be itching ears the whole time. It'd just be, friend, you can live your best life now. Buy my book. Make me a millionaire. Make merchandise of the people of God. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Look at verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. They're transformed into the angels of light. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. You're there in 2 Corinthians 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 18. Philippians 3.18. The Bible says this. Philippians 3.18. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Adversaries. Look at verse 19. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly. Their own desires, their own lusts, their own appetites. That's their God whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. Let's run one last one. We'll be done. Go to Jude. I'm sorry, not, not, not Jude. Go to 1 John. 1 John. Let me just turn there myself. 1 John. If you start at Revelation and you go backwards, you have Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Say, Pastor, why would you preach a sermon like this? Why preach a sermon like this? You didn't even get to the donkey. That's the best part. Look, I'm going to tell you something. The donkey is the best part. The donkey is really interesting in the story, and I want to encourage you to be back tonight, 6 p.m. We're going to look at this story of Balaam and his donkey and this talking donkey. But you know, the reason that it's good to take our time to just look at the characteristics of this quintessential false prophet is because you need to know how to identify them. Amen. Here's what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try. The word try means test. But try the spirits, whether they are of God. You say, why would I need to try the spirits? Here's why. Because many false prophets are gone into the world. Not every guy on the radio that calls himself a preacher is a preacher of God. Not every guy on the TV that holds up a Bible is preaching the word of God. 
Not every preacher out there. You need to try the spirits because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And look, we've not touched on everything that we could talk about a false prophet, but here's just some pretty good indicators. If the, if the world loves them, if the politicians love them, that's a bad sign. If, 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 the, if the world, if the Hollywood, if they're being interviewed, you know, if they're, if they're going on all these popular shows and being interviewed by, by Oprah Winfrey and whatever, that's a bad sign. If they're filthy rich, that's a bad sign. You say, but, but it seems so good. Yeah, that should just tell you they're a false prophet because they're popular, they're prosperous, they're pretenders. We need to try the spirit because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word and we thank you for these stories. You gave Balaam a lot of attention in the Bible, and I think it's for a reason. There's some things you want us to learn about this man. There's some things you want us to identify regarding Balaam. Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn them. Help us to have our eyes open to false prophets. And when real men of God preach against these false prophets, I named several famous preachers. Let us not be offended at that. If they're filthy rich, if they're accepted by the world, if they preach damnable heresy, they should be called out. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to just get back to the Bible. Help us to get back to the Word of God. Help us to get back to biblical Christianity Allow where we allow the Bible to tell us what to think and how to think and how to identify. Lord, I pray you'd help, help our church. Continue to bless our church. And Lord, I do pray for the men of God out there. Every man of God out there that no one, we don't know their names. They're not famous. They're not rich. But they faithfully stand behind a pulpit and they preach the word of God. I pray you'd bless them, protect them, put a hedge of protection. There's so many enemies against the real men of God out there. Bless their ministries and their families. Protect them as there's spiritual warfare against them. There's people out there trying to curse them and bring them down. I pray you'd help them and be with them. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to give you a couple of reminders, if you would. First of all, don't forget, men, that we've got the work days uh, this week. There's three clipboards back.